Hi, this is Charlie O'Shields, and welcome back to a very special episode of Sketching Stuff. Though I know not everyone celebrates Christmas, these are some of my personal stories of this time of year that I hope will put a smile on your face. Also, I just published a Sketching Stuff book. It contains familiar stories heard here, along with 25 pages of new rambles and over 180 black and white illustrations. And it's available now on Amazon in all formats. Just visit sketchingstuff.com for the link. I've always loved December, and counting down the days until Christmas Day was a family tradition I've always cherished. Though thankfully, when I was little, my mom used to have tiny little presents for me that I could open each day of the month to keep me from going perfectly insane with anticipation. This is the time of year when my inner child literally shoves me out of the way and takes over while giggling and screaming with delight. In short, it's indeed the most wonderful time of the year. Welcome to Sketching Stuff, a collection of stories sketched from life. Sledding Down a Hill Each winter, when I was a kid, I couldn't wait for that wonderful day when there was enough snow to go sledding. The amount of snow had to be just right, as too much would make it impossible and too little would be a horribly muddy experience. I would love to say that I was a pro at sledding, but that would be a lie. I was never able to steer properly and would just point my sled in a direction that looked like it wouldn't maim anyone on the way down, shove off and hope for the best. Though I began with a wood and metal sled, my parents quickly switched me to a plastic toboggan in order to avoid lawsuits. The plastic kind could topple another child on the way down, but lacked the sharp bits that would slice off precious body parts along the way. The unfortunate part of the plastic version is that you were no longer suspended above the snow and could feel every rock and bump getting unceremoniously butt-pummeled all the way down. A small price to pay, I guess, for the sake of public safety. I rather missed the wooden sled as I was able to launch onto it at a run and sail down on my stomach head first. This felt a bit like flying, which has always been a dream of mine. Also, I mistakenly felt that I had a bit more control, or I could at least roll to the side should I find myself sailing toward a tree or another child. I would, of course, have the decency to yell jump while doing so. Certainly holding my arms out to the side and flapping them like I was flying didn't count as steering. Switching to the plastic version was a bit of a letdown. It lacked the ornate style and didn't feel like a proper sled at all. I think mine was red and then maybe yellow after the bottom wore out in the first one. Some kids had circular dishes that they rode, but those were not an option for me. It was like sitting on a toilet while holding on for dear life, legs in the air while occasionally spinning like a UFO. You could also sit cross-legged, but I was already too tall to fit properly and could never quite bend my legs into that perfect yogi pretzel. The hill we always went to was simply called Sled Hill, and at my young age, it seemed like more of a mountain. I still remember the sheer and gleeful terror I felt the first time I slid down it. Like most kids, scaring the hell out of myself was a delightful thing to do. It takes years to learn how to be truly afraid of things. I haven't tried to return to that hill and give it a go, but I've considered it. I'm sure now it would look somehow small and unimposing, which would sort of kill my lifelong memory of accomplishment. I had scaled that mighty mountain, zoomed forth at lightning speed, and made it to the bottom mostly unscathed. 
In my mind today, whenever I'm facing a difficult problem, I just think back to that time and remind myself that I was once fearless. I imagine myself grabbing that little bit of frostbitten rope with my mighty mittens, and I'm ready to tackle anything that comes my way. Assuming, of course, the problem doesn't involve a tree or a small children. I was really rubbish at that sport. Instead, I just focus on the bit where I wasn't scared of taking chances, and no matter how steep, I would take the leap and go sledding down a hill. Turtle Doves. One of the most played songs in December is 12 Days of Christmas. It's often sung by adults and children, and its repetitive words and melody make it rather catchy and easy to sing. That said, the only confusing part comes when one tries to imagine actually getting all of the gifts described. As we sing the song, our true love spends the first eight days giving us a wide variety of live birds. This onslaught of birds only pauses for a moment on day five when our lover surprises us with five golden rings, one for each finger of our favorite hand. And on day 8 through 12, however, things take a perfectly bizarre turn, as having run out of birds, our true love loses it entirely and starts gifting actual people. Though birds can be seen as pets, one doesn't expect to receive dancing ladies unless drunk in a bar on a 21st birthday. So clearly our companion is a bit crazy, confirmed by the act of then forgetting each day that we've already received those lovely, odd, and somewhat inappropriate gifts and giving them to us over and over again. This little song has always intrigued me, and even as a kid I tried to understand what the heck was going on. Though at first it seems we're getting only two turtle doves, by the end of the song we've actually received a ridiculous 22 doves. In truth, as our amnesiac continues to bestow the same gifts on us day after day, we end up with 184 birds and can only wonder why an aviary wasn't even considered in the list of thoughtful gifts. On the bright side, we did get 40 gold rings that I'm sure might provide enough funds if sold to purchase one. But that won't at all help us in housing the now 40 maids, along with all of the dancers, leaping lords, pipers, and drummers. Though blissfully our true love thought about the drummers at the last moment, so there are only 12, which probably won't even make enough noise to drown out the birds and 22 pipers. One can only imagine that this song is indeed about true love, and that in the end it's often only the thought that counts. But as bizarre as this little ditty is, if I stop to question it realistically, it doesn't stop me from joining in the chorus each year. I'll happily hop in with others, singing without care as we receive a ridiculous menagerie of inexplicable gifts and enjoy each and every one. What I love about this season is that it's rich with traditions that don't always make perfect sense. Songs and stories that are enjoyed over and over again with glee, never stopping to question why. It's a magical time of doing things that generations before us did as well. In this way, we're all reconnected to our wonderful present life and a life long before us filled with equal bits of good cheer. That to me is the greatest gift of the year. It's one you don't open with your hands, but simply with your heart. A moment of love, hope, and joy that can start with something as oddly simple as a single partridge and two turtle doves.
While I do love winter snow, I've never been a fan of wearing boots. I once made a doodle wash of the only pair I actually own, and they've only been worn a few times. These I bought after I realized just how freaking cold it can get in Montreal, Canada. I had gone there for the first time to scout locations for a Christmas movie I was working on with the Hallmark Channel. The movie was about Santa's hometown, so snow was required, but I somehow didn't realize we'd be trudging through the stuff during the trip. I had worn regular shoes and found myself knee-deep in snow at one point. The others giggled at my lack of preparedness and kept asking if I was okay. Not wanting to seem like a total idiot, I said I was fine. I actually was at that moment since I couldn't feel my feet at all, so they really weren't a bother. I was heading back to the hotel when I still couldn't feel my feet that I got a bit concerned. Luckily, I was fine and nothing had to be chopped off, but I returned on the next visit with these boots instead. Though faux fur-lined and visually cozy, they proved to be of little help against the bitter cold. But this time, since I at least looked the part, nobody asked questions. These were found online, and while I was shopping for boots, the first thing I realized was the most were perfectly ugly. They were all large, clunky bricks that I couldn't bear to wear, so I opted for these because they sort of looked a bit more like actual footwear. There are many men who look perfectly sexy and rugged in a pair of bulky boots. I, however, am not one of them. Instead, I look more like a child who tried on his father's boots for a bit of play. Sure, I guess if I managed to complete the outfit with loose, washed-out jeans, a heavy flannel plaid shirt, and one of those furry caps with ear coverings, it might help. Unfortunately, I don't own anything like that because I don't live in the wilderness fearing the next bear attack or drive a truck. While growing up, I quickly learned that I wasn't a man's man, or at least in the disappointing way I discovered that it meant. To be this kind of man meant that you were a guy who loves to prowl around in man packs, go camping, and do manly things. I was never taken on those camping trips, most likely because I asked if there would be appropriate light for reading and if I should bring my violin. I was only briefly in Boy Scouts when a neighbor boy who was popular at school joined and I thought it might help me seem cooler. Well, it was actually Cub Scouts, as I was apparently too young to be considered a boy and instead seen more as a baby carnivorous mammal. The most exciting bit was getting to build a wooden car for the event known as the Pinewood Derby. The official car kit came with a rectangular block of wood, four wheels, and four nails. I was thrilled at the infinite possibilities and immediately began sketching designs and making color swatches. My car was a vision in bright orange, an homage to the show The Dukes of Hazard, and to my wee little eyes looked like a winner. Unfortunately, I'd whittled away most of the block and the car was too light to roll properly. One is allowed to stick pennies in or drill some lead, I believe, but that would have messed up my aesthetic. It rolled so slowly down the ramp, I actually caught some of the other cubs yawning. Shortly after, I quit the scouts and joined a ceramics class instead. I was the only boy, but I didn't care. By then, it was perfectly clear that I was just never meant to be one of those men in boots. Silver Bells One of the signature sounds of the holiday season is the song Silver Bells. In its original form, this is one of the slowest, dreariest Christmas songs that is played each year. The song is set at a tempo that makes it sound as if someone bumped into an old record player and accidentally changed the speed. 
You keep anticipating the next phrase, but it fails to come in a timely fashion. And rather than feeling joy, you just feel like you want to curl up and have a nap. I far prefer the up-tempo sounds of Brenda Lee's Jingle Bell Rock. Also, this was the song that was playing the first time Philippe and I met in Chicago, so it has a special meaning at the holidays. And Brenda Lee sounds a bit like an elf, so what's not to love about that? Actually, we have holiday songs playing as I type this, and Silver Bells just came on. I bet I can finish this little essay before it finally lopes along to its lackadaisical conclusion. One remarkable thing about the classics is that everyone sounds as if they've drunk too much eggnog spiked with whiskey. They slur each word and scoop up to try to find the next note in the song, very occasionally succeeding. Listening to these songs after you yourself have had too much eggnog is a rather metaphysical experience. That's really only happened once, as eggnog is far too rich in general to drink in excess. One season, however, my sister made rum balls so strong that a handful would knock you off your chair. Yet, they were so incredibly delicious that nearly everyone had a full handful. That was a rather happy holiday season, to be sure. No matter what music is playing, one thing is certain, this time of year makes me incredibly happy. I'm enthralled at the lights and thrilled by the food. I find each moment amazing and spend a year waiting for these moments to return to me again. It's truly one of the most wonderful times of the year. And I was right, by the way. Silver Bells just now lumbered along to a conclusion and let us know that soon it will be Christmas Day. Obviously, using a word like soon in a song so ridiculously slow is meant to be some sort of irony. But this is, after all, the season of anticipation, so maybe it's the perfect song after all. An ode to a holiday countdown filled with excitement for the gifts ahead and the endearing, glittering beauty of those silver bells. The Gingerbread Man. When I was a kid, there was a fairy tale around this time of year that had the catchy repeated phrase, run, run as fast as you can, you can't catch me, I'm the gingerbread man. The rest of the story is macabre and rather pointless, but this line stuck with me. In the common version of the tale, a little old lady bakes a gingerbread man only to have it come to life and run out the door screaming, don't eat me. Rather than have a heart attack on the spot, the old woman just starts chasing him as though this inconvenient thing happens all of the time. He outruns the old lady while mocking her for being so slow. Following the old lady, he continues to outrun an old man, a pig, a cow, and a horse. At this point, they've all formed a mob of angry villagers, as apparently even the old lady is still in pursuit. But next, he's quickly devoured by a fox and the story abruptly ends. As stories go, this one kinda sucks. I've never really understood the point of this tale. As a kid, you're chanting along with it and just enjoying the fact that there's so many cameos by your favorite animal creatures. And throughout the race, you're pretty much rooting for the gingerbread man the whole time. His pursuers are trying to eat him after all, not take him to the zoo. Yelling back at them is well within his rights since he didn't do anything beyond magically spring to life to deserve to be eaten in the first place. What's the moral? When someone tries to attack and eat you for no reason at all, just keep quiet and let them? 
Sure, he was a bit of a cocky jerk, but again, he's the victim throughout the tale. There's no twist, just a bunch of hungry old people and animals who are trying to kill him until one finally does. The lesson, if there is one, is difficult to decipher. I actually had to do fast search online to see if there was indeed some unanimous moral to the story. The most often mentioned motif is that every other character seems to think he belongs to them. This should somehow teach children that they can't always get what they want. This, of course, falls flat since the fox got exactly what he wanted by simply being cunning and also flat out lying. In the end, the child psychologist seemed just as baffled as everyone else and in a last-ditch effort to make some sense of the tale exhaustedly say that the moral is simply that you should not trust anyone without consideration. To me, this is simply proof that this is the dumbest story ever told and that even the dumbest of stories can often stand the test of time. The point of all this, I guess, is to say that if you're a fox this holiday season, be vigilant. You might just be able to enjoy a little taste of the gingerbread man. A snow day. The best part about winter as a kid was when I realized there was enough snow falling to get out of school that day. The idea of getting a snow day was a cherished event and one of the most exciting surprises of childhood. I woke up to more falling snow while riding this, and even though I was off work this week, it still had the same thrill. I've been wishing all month for snow on the holidays as it just feels a bit more festive that way. I stuck with regular wishing, though there are actually other ways to make snow appear, like turning your pajamas inside out and wearing them to sleep. I've no idea why this would work, but it's part of child folklore. A more related way to conjure snow is to place an ice cube in the toilet and flush it. At least this is related to something cold. Each cube and flush represents the number of inches of snow you'd like to receive in exchange for acting so weirdly. Apparently, you can also put a spoon under your pillow to bring snow, but I can't for the life of me understand the point of that one. These superstitions are simply updates of the much older tradition of the snow dance, which is another option for the rhythmically inclined. I don't have time to prepare a proper dance routine, so luckily the snow came without the need for all those rehearsals. Unfortunately, it also brought bitter cold. That wasn't really on the wish list, so we've been hiding indoors all day. The dog is less amused by the snow and cold temperatures. When I took him out for his morning pee, he just stopped and looked up at me as if to say, what the hell is this? Fix it. I honestly can't blame him as I wouldn't want to pee in such weather either. Later, when Philippe tried to coax him into his winter jacket, he cowered under my legs and wouldn't come, this stubbornly starting what we refer to as a poop strike and running upstairs to curl up on the bed instead. Phineas is now snoring on the couch, no doubt dreaming of being adopted by parents who live in Florida. But I'm personally thrilled for a day of beautiful snow and lots of time to play with Christmas toys, or as is more accurately the case, bounce from one thing to the next and then look at the clock wondering where all the time has gone. I spend so much time just mindlessly doodling that I didn't have time to write or sketch anything. That's the sign of a snow day well spent, in my opinion. Just a bit of goofing off and not taking life too seriously. Though I tend to live most days of my life that way. As the new year approaches, I make the usual resolutions to be sensible and try to focus a bit more. These are harmless promises I break to myself at the first sight of something shiny and new. 
It's not that I'm reckless, it's just that I choose to live life with a constant bit of glee. Life is a silly thing to worry too much about as it doesn't last long enough to raise any real concern. So for me, I'll just keep on bobbing ridiculously through it and living each day like it's a snow day. A letter to Santa. Though it's been a few decades, dear Santa, I thought I would write you a letter tonight, just as I did as a child. You might remember me as the blue-eyed kid with an insatiable curiosity who asked for a purple teddy bear one Christmas. That's likely not enough to narrow it down, but even if you don't remember me, I remember you. Each night on Christmas Eve, I would leave you some cookies and milk, though my dad always insisted you prefer a Coors Light. I'm not sure why he thought that, but I stuck with milk as I knew you had to drive all night. Well, fly, really, which how cool is that? That sounds like a blast, but I'm sure you get tired of it just as one grows weary of a morning commute. I hope you know that you brought me a lot of happiness, and I know you still do the same for kids all over the world. Thanks for that. The world has changed a lot since I was little, Santa, and can use extra happiness now more than ever. There are so many things I wished I'd asked you back then when I was so busy worrying about what gifts I might get. It all seems a bit one-sided and selfish now, and I never got to know you at all. But I guess you're used to that. I won't bore you with the obvious questions you've no doubt been asked a million times. Like, do reindeer manage to make it through the entire flight without pooping? You're not obliged to answer that, though really, it's a concerning thought if they don't. Nor will I ask you why you left the rest of society to live with a bunch of elves, as that's really none of my business. I'm sure you had your reasons. And of course, I won't insult you with the question of how you managed to fit down a chimney with your impressive girth. At least that's how you've been illustrated, probably just wickedly assumed because of all the cookies you must eat in a single night. You could actually be as thin as a rail and have the metabolism of a hummingbird. If that's true, I envy that bit about you now even more than the flying reindeer. No, the question I wanted to ask is a far simpler one, dear Santa. What do you want for Christmas? I would have left you more than cookies had I ever known. I mean, what do you get for the guy who makes everything? If I had to guess, you'd want something rather simple, yet something even your elves couldn't make. So I've made you this little illustration that I call a doodle wash. It's nothing much at all, but it comes from the heart. As you sail across the sky each year, you probably see a million things that none of us would have ever known existed. You've seen the homes of the richest and poorest children in the world, and you managed to do what many of us often struggle to do, and that's to treat everyone equally. At least, that's how you make them feel. The simplest gift, after all, is hope. A feeling that can't be wrapped but glows in each of us as we open every little present we receive. I now have friends across the globe, so if you could manage it, please send them all my love as you sail past. And no matter what holiday we celebrate, love is something we can all believe in. Sincerely, Charlie O. much for listening to the sketching stuff podcast i hope you enjoyed it and new episodes will be added bi-weekly 
visit me at sketchingstuff.com to share your comments and stories. 